Tonight's reading is from John 15, 1 through 17. You can follow along with me on the back of your card. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when we began Lent together on Ash Wednesday, I encouraged you to think about this year as a kind of a retreat, um, uh, taking time away to do the things that give you joy with God, a 40-day retreat. And uh, I encouraged you to have a Lenten intention and a Lenten practice. Uh, An intention is just uh, something you want to focus on with God during this retreat. Um, And a practice is a a spiritual discipline that can help you with that area that you're focusing on. Um, On Ash Wednesday, we gave everybody little purple cards and asked you to write those down. And uh, for me, Uh, I won't go into too many specifics, but there were two areas this year for my Lenten intention. One has to do with just an area of healing in in my life personally over something that uh, I've gotten kind of stuck over. And the other is uh, just the the capacity to see what the Father is doing, John 5, 17 to 20, just uh, that God would increase my capacity to see. Uh, And and I've put a couple of practices into place. One is... um, there's a friend who's, uh, I just think, really walks closely with God, asking to meet with me once a week, and we're talking about uh, abiding and resting. I have another friend who's a professor at Johnson University and is finishing a book on Jonathan Edwards and Spiritual Awakening and uh, going around the world speaking on it. And I said, would you 
spend every Friday afternoon for uh, 90 minutes uh, with me and teach me about spiritual awakening and uh, can we pray. And then the fasting this year, I'd been doing fasting a good bit earlier in the year and so I felt kind of worn out on it. And My fasting sounds kind of lightweight, but here's what I'm doing and that is uh, whenever something cancels in my calendar, instead of filling it, I devote the time to prayer. And uh, it's amazing. There's a lot of things that have been canceling. (laughs) So I'm kind of enjoying that, actually. So I would encourage you to think about what what you and God want to work on this Lent and what practices might support that for you. And our home-based text is this wonderful passage that Logan read for us. And if we could just show the slide, one of the things we're going to see as we go through that these 40 days is the theme of the text is abide and go. Abide and go bear fruit. Abide and go. Uh, I I haven't counted, but there's numerous usages of uh, both phrases. And it's such a a lovely, natural rhythm. And I think it's a beautiful way to think about the church. And I think it's a beautiful way to think about the personal spiritual life, that there is deep abiding that leads to going into the world and leading a beautiful life. that the way you discern your calling and place in the world comes from that deep abiding. And so we are um, slowly going through this passage. Last week we started with verses 1 and 2. We talked about Jesus being the true vine, the source of life. Uh, that the Father is the vine dresser. That he is uh, responsible for helping us grow. And that pruning is part of this growth. And Uh, that God sometimes cuts back our lives uh, and even removes things from our lives, not to be mean, but so that the sap can flow more freely through our lives. And and I said something that I felt like the Spirit put in my heart, but I don't want you to hear it like a law. I I suggested that uh, if you could, not to make major decisions during Lent, but to to, to delay them until after Easter, so that this could be a season of discernment for you. And I certainly understand that life moves quickly and And sometimes you have to make those decisions. But the idea was, see what happens if you don't have to make the decision, if you step back and really abide and take a little longer than you normally would and see what kind of clarity you might have uh, at the end. I I find that I make my worst decisions when I make them quickly and feel like I have to make the decision. And a wise friend once asked me, do you have to make this decision right now? And about 95% of the time, I don't. So when you can slow it down and abide a little bit more, you might be surprised uh, what, what comes out on, on the other side. So tonight, verses 3 and 4. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The Greek word for clean is katharizo. We get our word catharsis from it. It's a, a word from uh, uh, the temple. It means to be ceremonially clean, uh, to be pure, to be cleansed so that you can be in fellowship with God. And so this is a pretty, pretty revolutionary idea that's different than most programs of moral development. And what, what Jesus is saying is, 
Okay, guys, remember the last supper, last night of his earthly life. They're getting ready for a life of faith, a journey of faith, taking the commission to the world, uh, starting growth, uh, climbing the ladder of spiritual perfection, whatever you want to say. They're at the very beginning. And what does Jesus start them with as they begin the process? He says, okay, here's what you need to keep in mind. You already have what you seek. (laughs) I love that. You're thinking that there's all the stuff you've got to do to get there, that you need to seek moral perfection. No, 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 it's not like that. You already have union with me. You are clean now because of what I did and I'm about to do. Not because of what you're doing. If I could share one thing about what the gospel is, it might be that. You, my friends, are already clean. Already in union with God. Ephesians 2, verse 4, you've been made alive in Christ. Galatians 2, 20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3.12, our life has been hidden in Christ with God. You are already clean. That is such an important spiritual truth. It means, among many things, that spiritual growth then is releasing what is already in you, not putting something on you or in you. It means prayer is not going through some liturgical hoops to awaken a slumbering God. Prayer is simply accessing the life that's already in you. I just think this is a really important principle in the spiritual life. You are already clean. And you know... Um, The reason why Jesus could say this was because the disciples were really perfect men and had never failed. (laughs) No, they're not clean because of their good behavior. They're clean because of his word. You know, we finished a a series on shame over the winter. and, And this is just such a, I think, an encouraging principle as we deal with shame. I don't have to compare myself to you. I don't have to be as eloquent as Logan or worship as passionately as somebody. I I mean, I can just be whoever I am because I'm already clean. I already have what I seek. And he says, we're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Let's think about that for a minute. The, The Greek word he uses here is logos. Uh, but that's actually not the Greek word for word. The Greek word for word is lexi, as we get lexicon or lexographer. Uh, that means like written word, word on a page. Logos was a word from uh, Greek philosophy that referred to the divine source of life that ordered and animated the universe. And, Jesus, and John, when he tries to come up with a word to communicate to Greeks about who Jesus is, logos. So when you read Logos in Scripture, 
John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and the Logos was with God, and through the Logos all things were created. Nothing was not created by him. He's saying Jesus is the divine source of life that orders and animates the universe. And the reason why we are clean, the reason why we are united to him, is because he spoke the Logos, because the divine source of life was spoken to us and we responded. That's what the word does. It's the divine source of life. It's not just words on a page. It's it's life. One of the things... um, I can't say this is for Lent. This is just for fun. So uh, I listen to too many lectures. I love podcasts and lectures. I do that all the time. I said, okay, no more uh, podcasts most of the time during Lent. <laughs> and, and so uh, I'm listening to a biography of Ulysses S. Grant on Audible. And uh, wow, it's incredible. It's 48 hours. Um, and uh, I'm falling in love with the guy. And it's, uh, I think it's the same guy that did Hamilton. This guy is such a good writer. And he's so thorough that you just feel like, I mean, you can hear him. It's like you know him almost. When I'm done with those 48 hours, we're going to be close. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. Are you following me? I think that's actually what Christianity has become for a lot of us. I mean, it's a great story, right? Great writer. But, friends, we're talking about logos. (laughs) There's no logos in the biography that I'm reading. There's just a lot of good lexi. What, we're, what this is about, and, and word to those who will preach someday, always finish your throat lozenge before you start the sermon. Um, <laughs> um, I thought, what do you, what, what's that in my mouth? It's my throat lozenge. Um, what we're saying here is that we have come into relationship with the Logos. That's what Christianity is. A Christian is not just a person who's in a certain room on Sundays or believes certain things, although that's the practices that we get into. A Christian is someone who has been born again by the Logos. And so one of the things I'd encourage you to think about this Lent is, what's your relationship like with the Logos? Uh, the Logos is revealed through the, the Word of God, uh, which is actually another Greek word, graphe. But just the book isn't the Logos. The book is inspired, but the book leads us to the Logos. So what what I want you to think about, and this is something that's kind of troubled me as your pastor and something I've been thinking a lot about. A lot of us seem to be struggling with the Scripture. The, The Scripture doesn't seem to be nourishing our divine union with the Logos. Um... And I know there are probably a lot of reasons for that. But I'd ask you to just think, well, what's it like for me right now when, I, when I'm in Scripture? Is, is it awakening my love for God? Is it refreshing, renewing, filling me with hope, 
correcting me when I'm going astray? Does it bring me joy? You know, don't get this the wrong way. I had an appointment canceled tomorrow at 9. I thought, yes! Because <laughs> I've been kind of busy lately. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of the pool. I have a reward on my Starbucks card. I am going to go get a ham and egg sandwich. And then I am going to go to a particular street. I'm not going to tell you where because you'll go there too. It is my holy street. Don't <laughs> okay, don't follow me, Alfred. When I get there, I, I kind of park. And I take a walk, and I've been doing it for years, and Jesus and I meet on that street. And I'm going to read a little of the Word, and the Logos and I are going to take a walk. And what's, what's sweet about that to me is I want to. And my prayer for you is that you'd want to. And if, if for some reason you don't want to, uh, find a good friend or come in and talk with me or I'll help you find a friend. I think this is what the church historically is called spiritual direction. It's sort of about how you intake logos. And let's sit down and talk about how you can feed yourself spiritually. Uh, abide in me and I... In you. Again, it's the last night before he dies. He's been talking about this revolution, about this kingdom. And the disciples are wondering how they're going to carry that kingdom out, how they're going to continue the revolution. How do you carry on the revolution? On a very warm July day in 1982, Sandy and I uh, stood in a line of thousands of people just outside of uh, the Red Square in Moscow as we waited to go in and see the embalmed body of Lenin. There are so many people in line that day that we were not able to go. We couldn't wait that long. But I'll never forget the faces of the people that came out after they'd seen his waxy corpse. It was the highlight of their life. How do you carry on a movement? That's one way. You, I don't know, stuff the guy. I don't know what they put in him, but he's been there a long time. And he, you fill him up with plastic and you set him out there. And you say, come see him. That's one way you carry on a movement. Jesus has a totally different approach to carrying on a movement. I'm in you. And you're in me. I'm in you, and you're in me. Together we're going to abide and go. It just seems to me that it's so easy for us in the church to turn abide and go into arrive and sit. A number of you have shared with me this Lent that you are asking questions about vocational discernment, about what what is this season about? Why am I here? What should I do next? How can I have meaning and purpose in this chapter? 
And, and I, noted, I would say in earlier years, in a conversation like that, we would talk a lot about your gifts, your experiences, your resume, and, and things like that, and, and try to help you figure out where you need to go. I think that's a very important conversation. I think another important conversation when you're trying to figure out where you're going in life is, how is your abiding? What is that part of your life like right now? Sometimes I worry about the organized church. I read the statistics and the institution of the church is struggling. We all know that. I'm in this pastor's group every month. We meet with all the downtime pastors, and we just had this really great conversation last Thursday about the institution of the church. And You know, I think in terms of the institution of the church, the expression of Christendom that has been reigning in America for 200 years, I think every person around that table has a sense of an ending that the, the structures, the institution, is kind of like a, a prehistoric beef, beast stumbling through a forest filled with arrows as it about to collapse. I'm not sure that's all bad. I, I kind of feel like the Lord's pruning the Western church so that we can bear real fruit. But as somebody who makes their living off of the institution, it keeps me up at night. <laughs> what does the new thing look like? And how do we pay for it? Um, whatever the new thing looks like, I think abiding and going will be part of it. Whatever the church should be doing in post-sec, post-post, post, 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 whatever post we're moving into, it should be helping us abide. It should be helping us draw close to Christ. And then I am confident if we are doing that, we will go. And we'll go where he guides us. One of the things that you, you and I could think about, maybe you could think about together, and maybe we could talk about a little bit, is what are the kind of things a faith community can do to help us abide more closely with the vine? Because as we talk, I appreciate the honesty that, that you all have. I'm just sensing that for a number of you, the normal means of grace aren't working very well anymore. By normal means of grease, grease, normal means of grease, there's olive oil, there's, no, there's normal means of grace. I just mean prayer, scripture, fasting, fellowship, public worship, hearing the word of God, service, you know, those. And I don't think there are new ones out there. Um, so how do we reimagine the old means of grace in a, in a new, fresh, life-giving way? And what would it look like for a church to help her people abide through them? One of the things you might think about during Lent is, are the means of grace helping me abide? And if not, maybe, what can I change? Maybe you're in a rut. 
last, we'll just look at that little phrase. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's such a, again, bedrock principle. When, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, uh, when I was 16, I worked at a pool. I made enough money, and I bought a Motobacane moped. 400 bucks. And I thought it was pretty cool. And I actually took my first date on my moped, um, believe it or not. Uh, the relationship did not last. The moped stayed with me um, for quite a while. And I became quite fond of it, and I would take it to work. And one day I was running late for work. I couldn't get it to start. I'm not mechanical, but it is a moped, right? So I was able to take it off, and I had things scattered all over the place. And I was late for work, and my dad came up, and he said, Son, did you see if there was gas? (laughs) I said, Dad, of course. And then he went inside, and then I checked the gas. And (laughs) it was out. (laughs) You can't ride a moped without gas, and you can't bear fruit without abiding in the vine. So think for a moment about a part of your life that's not fruitful, that seems kind of barren. Maybe you're running into something hard, or everywhere you turn around, you just can't get through the wall, or you're facing injustice, or uh, d- disappointment. Uh, it's just, it's just hard, 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 hard. Well, it is. A, it's very appropriate to feel angry, to uh, to problem solve, to lament. It's important to do all those things. To tr- there are times to try to fix the thing that's hard, 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 hard. But what I'd also ask you to do in the barren areas of your life that are hard and unfruitful is go back and check if there's gas in the tank. Are you abiding? Because one of the reasons I think the Lord allows us to go through unfruitful seasons when nothing seems to work and we're constantly disappointed and people are always frustrating us is to get us to go back and ask if I'm abiding. So you you might take that frustrating area and ask the Lord that this week. Let's pray.